friend to another live conversation on Alatra TV. Today we have a very special guest as we continue to talk about Creative Society. So if you never heard about the project Creative Society, it is a project on the platform of Alatra International Public Movement. It is run by volunteers from over 180 different countries in order to find out how do we envision our future together? How do we envision a creative society? So today we will get to know our guest and we will also find out how does he envision a future where he, his family and friends are happy and live a fulfilled life. So my name is Olga and my co-host tonight is Steve. Welcome, Steve. Good to see you. And our guest of honor today is Professor Dan Brook, and he is a writer, poet, and a speaker. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Please tell us a little bit more about your background and what do you do now? Well, I teach sociology at San Jose State University, and I love sociology because we we get to, you know, we really get to talk and research about um, human beings and how we create societies, but then also how once we create societies and the things in societies, those things help create us. Mm -hmm. So I find that fascinating. Yes. Please tell us a Brooke, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Professor Book, we were kind of in the pre-show, we were discussing, and you said you you talked, you taught globalization. Could you dive a little deeper into what you meant by that? I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the topic. Some people hate it. They get scared when they hear the word. Could you sure. elaborate a little bit about that for us, please? Sure. So there's different ways to think about globalization. The most simple, perhaps, is to realize that globalization is just simply the interconnectedness of the world. And that could, that is, um, socially, culturally, politically, economically. Um, so on a certain level, um, no one is really against globalization when we think about say the globalization of um, trade and goods, uh, the globalization of fashion, music, tourism, even religion, spirituality, philosophy, human rights, democracy. Um, but uh, globalization has come to mean a particular form of globalization that aren't those things I mentioned necessarily. It's primarily a, a form of economic globalization, particularly a, a very corporate-led, top-down, authoritarian economic globalization where profit is the primary goal, sometimes the only goal, uh, quite literally at the expense of everything else, at the expense of education, health, safety, environment, indeed life on earth. Yes. So needless to say, it's, a, it's an important topic. I have a great time teaching it. Uh, fun, fun, fun course. So, Dr. Dan, why are we as human beings so quick to judge something by, you know, just the split second of thinking, oh, globalization, and right away we think it's bad. Like we don't even consider like, let me find out what 
someone means by that, let me study it, let me research it. Why are we as human beings are so resistant to this change or to opportunity to learn more? Well, there's lots of possibilities there. I mean, uh, on the one hand, we have to, and it's normal, it's human to be judgmental and to make quick judgments. And it probably has an evolutionarily biological basis because, you know, if you see, um, you know, the proverbial, you know, saber-toothed tiger and you recognize its shape and its colors, you do want to make an instant judgment and not think, well, maybe it's just somebody dressed in a saber-toothed tiger suit. How cute they're dressing up. Let me see and pet it. No, you want to escape and run away. So there's a rational basis for that but also as rational human beings and particularly ones um, who aren't always in that uh, fight flight you know, type of mode, we do have to look deeper. We have to analyze, we have to think, we have to um, you know, use the, um, the, you know, the, the three pounds of mush in our brains you know, for productive purposes um, or the, kilo and a half. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's practice and it's what we're taught to do. It's what we're socialized to do. It's what we're encouraged to do. And it's also how we, how we train ourselves. In a lot of ways, when we're socialized in society, when we're brought up from birth till now and ultimately till to death, um, we don't like putting it this way normally, but it's a form of brainwashing and that doesn't mean all bad. Uh, as we become more conscious and more aware, we have to learn how to brainwash ourselves, not just allow us to be brainwashed. In the same way, we don't want to just be educated. We also want to educate ourselves. We want to be receptive to ideas and to education and knowledge and the world that's around us. And we also want to be proactive in that pursuit so that we can choose what to learn, choose how to think about it, and hopefully develop deeper, more holistic, more nuanced ways of understanding the world around us and our role in it. Wow. Professor Brooke, you, you mentioned early on that you, you love sociology because it's about we creating society, but society creating us. Yeah. If the, the creative society is a form of globalization in a positive way, looking yeah. for to do some really good things with everyone in the world involved, how important is it? And then how do we um, take some personal responsibility when it comes to being positive and global citizens? Well, <clears throat> we have to, you know, for me, personal responsibility is intimately intertwined with a larger communal responsibility. Because in, in a strict sense, we don't exist as individuals. We are individuals, but we exist as individuals and in who we are within a, a larger framework and within multiple and often layered communities. Um, it's like we were saying, you know, we're socialized by our culture, we're social beings and we interact with each other. We belong to societies, we share languages, we live under current political and economic systems um, with laws and mass media and, and global events like pandemics and climate change and white supremacy 
and patriarchy. Um, needless to say, these aren't hypothetical examples, right? So anyway, so um, we have to see the interconnections even between our seemingly personal and even private thoughts and how it connects to larger social forces that are um, sometimes uh, regional, national, and global. So the creative society a new format of society and we are achieving it in the most peaceful legal way possible. So what are some of the ideas that you have about spreading this idea around that people don't get this flight and I'm like scared, uh, you know, thought, but people actually open up their mind and start researching and seeing for themselves what benefits of creative society can they enjoy in a very fast future? Well, creativity is so important. Um, and, you know, usually for most people, all the, you know, best things in their lives come from creativity and their moments of awe and awakening come from, you know, nature and creativity. Um, so much of art in the world in a way is, um, you know, mimic, trying to mimic nature, which is so awesome and naturally creative. And so once again, I think if, we want to be more creative and we want more creativity in the world. It's not just about what we can do. It's also liberating other people so that they can be more creative. When other people are more creative, it gives us the opportunity to be more creative. And think about how much intelligence, creativity, humor, science, and, and otherwise that we squander because we have so much poverty in the world and pe those people can't reach their full potential. Think about how much we squander of creativity and intelligence because of racism, sexism, homophobia, religious bigotry, xenophobia, anti-immigrant sentiment and other really uh, shallow, irrational biases. Um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel was a friend of Martin Luther King. And um, Rabbi Heschel once described racism as maximum hate from minimum reason. And that's true of so many of the irrational hatreds, the anti-Semitisms and Islamophobias. And um, uh, there's been a recent upsurge in anti-Asian um, hate crimes in America, in, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area where I live, uh, just, you know, in the long line of tragedies that we've inflicted upon ourselves. And, and ultimately what we do to others, we do to ourselves. And that's true in terms of, of violence. It's true in terms of the, the suppression and oppression of other people. It's true in what we do with, regard to environmental destruction, um, we're doing it to ourselves. And in that sense, we have a suicidal society. Mm. Professor Brooke, I know this next question has no easy answer and uh, it's because if it did, we'd fix it by now. But you talked about those things, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, all these things that are dividing us. How or what practical steps can one or two people take to begin to get over those things? Or how do we influence people around us? How do we come together? 
Is there anything, simple, practical ideas that might begin to bring us together with people who look, think, and believe different than us? Mm -hmm. Sure, I think there are. <clears throat> so um, part of it is just awareness. Part of it is, um, Steve, Olga, what you're doing now, just by raising these issues. This is absolutely part of it. So being aware of it, recognizing that these things are going on and that they've gone on historically, but that they don't have to go on. So sociologically, we realize that even the concepts of race and sex are social constructions, meaning there's nothing natural about them, that at some point in some place, we invented them, not us literally, but members of our species invented things like race and sex, which don't otherwise exist. And we identified them. So, and that created things like racism and sexism. It's not that there's no differences amongst people, but do the differences really make any difference? And should they make negative differences? And do they have to be hierarchies based on those differences? We also see that in some times and places, in some cultures, we see greater levels of racism, sexism, and homophobia, and we see lesser levels of things like racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. So um, what that tells us then is it's not a belief, it's a fact that we can lessen those things because we know it can be lessened because we see that in some places given certain conditions. So then we look, so are there certain cultural things? Are there certain political things, certain economic things, certain educational things, um, certain governance things, right, that we can do? The answer is, of course, yes. Yes, course, and Dr. Brooke, actually our eight foundations for a creative society, and I say ours because they really are for everybody, they came together because we volunteers went out and interviewed millions of people around the globe because we saw what you are saying. We saw the separation. We saw the wars. We saw the hate, crime. We saw it all. But we really wanted to ask people, but how do you envision a world where you will be happy? How do you envision this world? And based on the answers we have received, those eight foundations were formed. So right now I will ask our producer to put together a quick video on those eight foundations and they will go by fast. Uh, so if our viewers would like to read them in detail, please visit alatraunites.com. But after we watch them, I would like for you to comment on some of them that resonate with you. And I'm not sure if there is a sound going out, but number one is human life. Number two is human freedom. Number three is human safety. Number four is transparency and openness of information for all. Number five, the creative ideology. Number six, development of personality. Number seven, justice and equality. Number eight, self-governing society. 
So Dr. Dan, which foundation really speaks to you? I know we can't really separate them because they are pillars of the society, but we won't have yeah. time to discuss them all. So which one really resonates right. with you? Yeah, so you're right. They're all inter interesting. They're all interconnected, but even so, just cognitively, we can pull them out. So I'm certainly interested in human life. As humans, we need to protect life. That said, I would expand it to other forms of life as well. In addition to other things in our natural environment that aren't technically living, but that uh, support life, including you know our oceans and uh, rivers. Um, so I like the idea of human life, but an expanded version of it. Um, I also like uh, uh, justice and equality certainly relates to what I was talking about. Um, uh, I'd like it to be, you know, as explicit as possible in terms of being um, uh, anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic. It's not just that we need to be um, non-racist, for example. In a racist world, we need to be anti-racist. It's not just that we have to be non-authoritarian, we need to be anti-authoritarian to really get the type of society we want to achieve and we want to live in. Thank you so much. And since we ask everybody around the globe, we would like to ask you too, how do you envision a perfect society for yourself, your family and your friends where you guys would feel happy and just you know, safe and fulfilled? Well, I don't envision perfection. I think that's an illusory concept, but we can always do better than what we're doing. So one way is to, you know, um, you know, think about those pillars and try to bring them into practice in our life in those expanded forms I mentioned. Um, I would also have a, a, a pillar, a ninth pillar, but maybe it would be the first pillar, uh, something like ecological sustainability because if we don't um, maintain enough of our world and enough of our biodiversity, and then also reverse a lot of what we were, we've been doing, reverse the amount of um, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide in our atmosphere and in our oceans, uh, if we don't you know, reverse the climate crisis, reverse deforestation, uh, reverse the extinction of species, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, none of the other pillars will matter because we won't have stable societies. It's mm -hmm. like the environment is the base upon which we build the superstructure of our societies. And there won't be creativity. There'll barely be survival if we don't get that um, under control. So, I would add that as an explicit um, pillar. I love that. Professor Brooke, you're in the education world. Um, and one of the most important things we can do is educate people. How do you see it now? How are we doing at um, the, educating our youngest humans around the world to these some principles of anti uh, this and anti that, and more importantly, taking care of our environment? Are we making an impact? And what else could education do better uh, to make sure the next generation coming up doesn't make the same mistakes my generation did? 
education is in some ways inherently conservative, not politically necessarily, but inherently conservative in that it teaches things from the past. It teaches what past authors and past people often dead have said and done. Um, but education can also be um, liberating. And so it has that potential always. Um, I think some places are doing an amazing job and most places aren't. Uh, there's so much more we can do because we can build anti-racism, anti-sexism, and anti-homophobia into the curriculum at all levels. We can bring um, not just teaching that we have democracy and teaching, say, formal and ritualistic democracy, but we can teach the reality and the practices of real democracy, again, at all levels of education. We can teach conflict resolution, for example, at all levels. We can teach the history of creativity and social movements and revolutions, not just that a particular country may have had one or not as a historical event, but teach about what that really is. We can teach um, social change and social entrepreneurship and all sorts of things like that if we wanted to um, in this broader category of what I might call people's education. Imagine if we taught not just the standard biology, but a people's biology, something that actually even kids can relate to because they experience it on a daily basis. Think about a people's finance and people's mathematics, a people's history, which was started by the great Howard Zinn. But think about you know um, all sorts of people's subject because you can apply that to every field. And if we did that more in education, it would uh, mean a lot. But just as one last final thought, there's a lot I could say about this, but think about how important say, friendships are in the world universally and how we don't learn anything about friendships. In fact, they're not even mentioned in school. Never heard one teacher or one class ever talk about friendships. And what would it mean if we studied friendships and taught it? Yes, definitely. And how do you envision if we did implement those eight foundations around the globe, how do you see the education really change from the consumeristic type of education or the education where it teaches you how many people died in a war to actually human-centric? How would it look like? Yeah, well, human-centric is the key, although not, but again, for me, an expanded, uh, not just human-centric, but you know, geocentric or ecocentric, um, you know, moving from me to we helps us move from illness to wellness, you know. So we have to have this more expanded notion that we're inherently part of a community, that we're part of a worldwide community, even if we'll never meet most of our community members but that we're connected to them and not just our living ones. We're connected to our ancestors and we're connected to our descendants. And so we're just, we're just um, links in the chain of being. And so it's important even to socialize ourselves and socialize our youth that way. It's not, uh, it's not just about us as an individual. And again, an individual isn't a fully meaningful concept. 
we're all in it together. Um, you know, spaceship Earth or rowboat Earth, however you want to think about it, you know, um, we're all in it together, but we're not all in it equally. So can we equalize ourselves, have more respect for each other? And one way to have respect is to treat each other equally and not just in a social sense, which is a big deal, but also in a political sense, an economic sense, a cultural sense, in terms of food, education, housing, healthcare, literacy, access to the internet and so on. Wow. Professor Brooke, I, I want this to keep going and my, I've got a couple of different thoughts. One is I really want to come and hang out in your class. Yeah. Two is I want to bring you back again to have an entire show about friendship because <laughs> that spoke volumes. Unfortunately, uh, we're getting the cue from our producing team that says we're almost done. So as we, I want this to go on, but I know we can't. Uh, thank you for being here. I do want to ask this question. We are all about connecting the world. Is there anyone in your network, maybe even a, a student or two who you might recommend that we could bring on an interview? Oh, perhaps. I'm not going to mention names uh, now, but sure, there's always people who are interested in these types of great ideas. So, um, yeah. Well, we hope so, though, because, yeah, because we really uh, see that right now, the way we're all living and the way everything is, the way the system is built, it's really affecting us all. And I think the COVID, uh, as sad it might be, it also helped us to understand that we are in the same boat together and we are, you know, human beings and we cr crave that interaction and we crave this social, uh, you know, justice for all of us. So it's perfect opportunity to have those type of conversations and really make the history and rewrite the history. So our history books have something that's peaceful, kind, thoughtful and loving. That would be a nice change for sure. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Dan. And before we go, is there something you would like to wish to our audience tonight? Well, I wish one day that we can meet in the museums that will be dedicated to um, things like poverty, racism, sexism, homophobia, because we're gonna have to bring people to those museums to show them, this is what once existed in society before we really got involved. And people will be shocked. What, this was in your society? Oh, yes, but no more. We just keep it as a relic in the museum so we can study our past. Yes, and in order for us to study that past, we need to create the future that we can all yes. be proud of. So thank you uh, for being on. Thank you, Steve, for co-hosting. And for our viewers, if you would like to learn more and join the project Creative Society, please visit alatraunites.com. On the website, you will see a red button. It says, join us. It's not that type of red button. It's a good red button. So we are rewriting <laughs> history right there. So click join us now and please indicate your level of interest if you would like to help us translate or if you would like to come in and host the program or if you would like to spread the information about the Creative Society. It is being done by people just like us. It's not done by any specific group or organization. It's us people coming together in one idea of building a creative society. And right now we're gonna finish our broadcast with the promotional video for the next conference. It's gonna happen on March 20th and it's gonna be called Creative Society, 
what profit dream does. So let's watch it. Thank you. Unprecedented event of present history. Initiative that comes from people around the world. Main project of humanity. People stopped being silent about urgent issues of our society. How it all started. May 2019, International Online Conference, Society, The Last Chance. 140 countries of the world, hundreds of thousands of people online, hundreds of broadcast platforms, translated into seven languages simultaneously. If we all want to live in peace, why do we have a world of violence and destruction? It is up to us to build a different world. How can we do it? December 2020, Creative Society, United We Can, 180 countries of the world, millions of people online, thousands of streaming platforms, 35 languages simultaneously translated. People have voiced today's reality and what they truly desire. And it is the Creative Society. All cultures have an image of the ideal world people want to live in. A world that prophets talked about. The time has come when we can make it real. How will we use this chance? Let's meet March 20, 2021, 3 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time international online event of global scale. Creative Society, what the prophets dreamed of. This is the day the world will unite to find out the truth, join the entire humanity, and spread the message.